So in, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing from prison. So this is what was called a prison epistle. And he's writing um, to the church in Colossae. And he's got a lot of things to say. But when we get to chapter 3, it's sort of a pivot point in the whole book. And he's talking about now that you, now that you believe these things, now that, you, now that you're a part of this family, here's what you need to do. It's very practical teaching. Before we jump into some of that practical stuff, I want us to spend some time with our identity. Who are we? And just talk about that for just a bit. Would you stand with me as we read? And our focus is going to be from verses 12 to 17. But let's just read from uh, chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through 17. Chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore. What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So that verse 7 is a pivot point. He says that's, that's who you used to be. It's not who you are anymore. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Pause for just a second. Here's what Paul said in that verse. He said, there's no distinctions. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, if you're rich, poor. It doesn't matter. We all come to Jesus the same. We all come in need of grace. We all come in need of mercy. It doesn't matter who you are or who you were, what your defining attributes were. Scythian, slave, free, barbarian, black, white, rich, poor, Employed, unemployed, doesn't matter. None of those defining attributes matter because you're new. He's made you new. You're not defined by those things anymore. You are, and he goes on. So put on then, and here's your defining attributes. You ready for this? This is wild. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Lord, would you add your blessings to the reading and now the preaching of your word? God, we come before you as humble students and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you teach us, like instill in us the truths that will transform us so that we can be agents of transformation in the world around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we're going to pick up our focus is from verses 12 through 17. But let me just start this way. There are a lot of things that as we look around, I want to, I want to bring verse 11 into the context for just a moment. As you look around the world around you, there are a lot of things that provide for us distinctions. A lot of differences. One of the biggest barriers, and I'm, I'm a newbie at this, like I'm, I'm Chaplain Green and Ann, they're helping me, but when I go to the jail, one of the biggest barriers for, for me is to not... It's strange. I'm, I go in and I feel immediate like, a, like an outsider. Like I don't belong. And I'm walking into a, a jail cell and... Um, how do I bridge that gap of, you know, me, them, the distinction, right? Everybody kind of feel that tension that I'm talking about? I hope you do. If you don't feel it in that setting, I know you feel it in other settings. There are things that we see that seem to just set us apart and divide us and make us feel like I'm not one of them. They're not one of us. There's this us and them type mentality. And Paul is breaking that thing down. In verse 11, he, he just issues a shattering blow to that whole idea of distinctions, of differences that should set us apart. And he, and he, he walks through a list. He says there's, not, there's no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, and then basically he says, and if I didn't get, if I didn't catch your, your category, here it is. He says, but Christ is all and in all. So in one fell swoop in verse 11, Paul says, all those distinctions do not matter in the gospel. None of that matters. Verse 12, he says, so put on then, and here's your new identity. So if you're taking notes, here's point number one. It's who before do. Who before do. We're talking about identity before activity. Paul's saying to the Colossians, he says, before I even tell you what you need to do, let me tell you who you are. You're no longer barbarians. You're no longer Scythians. You're no longer slave. You're no longer free. You are, here's who you are. You're chosen. You are holy. And you are beloved. He gives us those three words as distinctions right there in verse 12. And we're going to spend a few minutes with those. You see, your identity in Christ is before your activity for Christ. It's not that there's not activity for Jesus. He actually has some things that He's planned for you to do. 
He tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, you are God's workmanship, His masterpiece. And He has some work that He's prepared for you to do. He's prepared some things for you to walk in it. If you want to look at that verse, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We're talking about our identity before our activity. And the order matters. The order is very significant because here's the struggle. And just Thursday night, I was here for Celebrate Recovery. Had an opportunity to to lead worship for it this Thursday. And that was awesome. It was fun to do that. Um, And after I came down off stage, I was kind of going to slip out and go study quietly while while they met. And a guy met me in the hallway and he was like, hey, can I talk to you? And I was like, whoa. Well, yeah, but I'm not in charge tonight. Steven's in charge because he was asking about Celebrate Recovery. And uh, he was like, no, man, I actually want to talk to you. I saw you at the jail the other day. I was like, really? He said, yeah, I really need to sit and talk with you. So we went and sat in the little cafe area out front. And he was saying to me, he said, man, I feel like God's got some things for me to do. And I just want to know what they are. I want to know what God wants me to do. If He'll just tell me what He wants me to do, I'll do it. That's what He was telling me. And I was excited to hear that. That was, that was firing me up. But I got to take Him a step backwards. And I don't know if you're wrestling through those same questions. God, if you'll just tell me what to do, I'll do it. I've prayed that way a lot of my life. And what I want to encourage us to do this morning is to take a step back from, from do to who. Before Paul ever got into it, here's what, here's what you need to do. Put on then, and he gives us a long list. Before he ever got into that, he said, here's who you are. You're chosen. You're holy. And you're beloved. So Thursday night, I got to sit with him. And we sat in the front cafe. And I said, let me, let me just take you back a notch. You, your worth is not in what you do. It's in who God's made you to be. And we just talked through the gospel. I said, I said, listen, your worth and your value to God is not in what you will do or even what you have done. Your value doesn't hinge on what you have done. Can anybody say, like, praise God for that? All right, because if my value depends on what I have done, I am worthless. But God doesn't look at me based on what I have done. He looks at me through the gospel now based on what Jesus has done. And Jesus said, it is done. It is finished, right? So it's not based on what you have done or what you will do. God looks at you based on His own Son and what He has done. Your worth and your value in Christ isn't up to you. That's good news, church. It's not up to you. It's up to Jesus. Let me walk through these three things really quickly because this hopefully will encourage you, will bless you. First, if you're in Christ, remember that's the way this whole thing started. And in verse 1 he says, if then you have been raised with Christ. And then he gives us a long list. So if you are in Christ, verse 12 says this about you. You are chosen. You are chosen. I think... uh, I don't know why, but some of us sort of recoil away from that word. And I just want to encourage you, don't, don't, do, don't wrestle with it. Don't fight with that word. It's in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. God is a God who has chosen. 
And it's a beautiful thing. If you're in Christ, the Lord has chosen you. How amazing is that? Tonight, I have the privilege of marrying a young couple. And uh, I'm excited about it. So this evening, we'll stand in front of a lake in the outside in the 90-something degree weather. Super pumped about that. And, uh, and I'll be... Uh, I'll be helping say the vows for a young couple who are looking at one another and they have chosen each other. It's not that everybody else in the room is not important, but this man has chosen this woman and this woman has chosen this man and we will gather and we will celebrate in the choosing. And the choosing is a beautiful celebration. It's a, it's a beautiful picture and it's a portrait actually of how Christ loves His church. That's what Ephesians 5 tells us is that marriage is a picture of how Christ loves His church. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church should submit to Christ. This, this picture of marriage is a picture of Christ and His church. So I just want to encourage you as the people of God, you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people as the people of God. This is not the only place in the scriptures that God says this. In fact, that that theme of chosen, holy, beloved is all through the Bible. It's also in Ephesians chapter two. But take your Bible. I want you to look at first Peter Chapter 2, verse 9. Find First Peter. It's right around James. And near the First John, Second John. So if you get toward the back of the Bible there. Find First Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. And this is what it says. Look at it. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. There's that word again. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, like that's verse 11 barbarian, Scythian, slave. You had all these distinctions. You weren't unified. You didn't have a sense of togetherness. You weren't one people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Go back to Colossians 3.12. You are a chosen people. And today, if you're not a Christian, turn to Jesus. Give Him your life and you'll prove to be a chosen person. Now, if you ask me, how does all that work? I don't understand. I don't understand either. I just know that's how it works. God does the choosing. And we celebrate that we are chosen in Him. That's a beautiful reality. If if that doesn't grip you like it should, because here's the thing, none of us deserve it. None of us deserve to be chosen by God. It's a humbling reality. But it's biblical and it's the truth. He has chosen us. Number two, He has set you apart as holy. That's what the word holy means, is to be set apart. Like we'll talk about tonight. um, 
This young man has chosen this young woman. She is set apart from other women. If she's not set apart, that's not marriage, right? Marriage is a a setting apart. Like you're no longer just part of the crowd. You are a woman that I'm giving myself to. You are set apart. And in the same way, God says, I've chosen you and I'm setting you apart. We are going to have a distinct kind of relationship. And that's the third thing. God says that you are beloved. This word is all through the Bible. It's it's a derivative of the word agape. Right. If you're familiar with the with the New Testament word for love, this is the love of God, the love of God. Wednesday night, we were talking in our Wednesday night refuel gathering, which, by the way, would love to invite you all to come to that six o'clock Wednesday night. It's just a very low key, casual Bible discussion. Our youth meet for worship and prayer. Our children are having a a deal. But six o'clock here, we're just out in the in the cafe. Just Bibles open, having a conversation. It's a, it's a pretty beautiful time. But we're talking about this concept of being loved by God. And um, I presented a word to them that I don't know if they did their homework or not, but it's a, it's a Hebrew word. Uh, and so I'm going to give you some homework. It's a Hebrew word. You can Google it, right? And just, just see what God will show you through Google, okay? It's the Hebrew word chesed, and it's spelled H-E-S-E-D. But it's my favorite word for the love of God in the Old Testament. It's, it's the Hebrew word chesed. H-E-S-E-D. And I'm going to give you a clue of what it means. It means His steadfast and loyal love. I don't know if you know the story in the Old Testament of Hosea. But if you've never read the story of Hosea, you can read it all in one shot. Um, and... I'll give you a quick summary that Hosea is a prophet and God tells the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. He marries her and they have children. Well, she has children that are not his because she hasn't left her life of prostitution. She continues to go to other men and she comes back to him with children that are not his. And Hosea takes her back time and time again. He names and raises her children that are not his own. And he loves her with a kind of steadfast, loyal love. Even to the point that in one chapter in Hosea, she has gone and put herself on an auction block. And there are men in the city bidding on her to buy her body. And Hosea comes and you know what? He doesn't just snatch his wife off the auction block and and go home. He comes in and he actually places the highest bid. And he buys his own bride back out of her filth. I don't know if you know this, but that's a picture of how our God loves us. We are the kind of bride who continually goes astray. We continually divert and go back to our old garbage. And God is the kind of God who loves us with a hesed kind of love. A loyal kind of love where He not only comes to get us, but He's the high bidder with His own Son, Jesus. He's paid the price for you to be back with Him again. This is the kind of love that our God Loves us with. We are beloved. It's who we are. Who before do. 
You won't find your worth in what you do. That's too, too much like this. Because you're going to fail down here. You're going to feel like a failure. You're going to be on cloud nine and you're going to feel too prideful. God says, I don't love you based on what you do. I love you based on who you are in Christ. It's who before do. Number two. Number two. The, I'm giving you some teaching points from this text. Okay, The next big command. And there's lots of things we could dig into. But I'm just hitting the surface here today. Number two is this. Peace over control. Peace over control. One of the commands in this passage is in verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule. So there's several things to talk about here. There's, a, there's this word peace. There's of Christ. It's a different kind of peace. And then there's this word rule. So we're going to pick into those really quickly. When you hear the word peace, you might think absence of war. You might think a sense of tranquility or a calmness or something like that. Well, I'm at, I'm at peace. Or my wife and I are not throwing pots and pans at each other. We're at peace. <laughs> right? You might have that kind of picture of peace. But this is not what the Bible means when uh, it talks about peace. I, I think I gave you... Yeah, I was trying to be all educated today. I gave you some Hebrew and uh, a Hebrew word and a Greek word right here for the word peace. I want you to practice saying these with me. All right, this will be fun. This will be fun. The Hebrew word for peace, you've probably heard it because it's a common greeting among Jews. It's the word shalom. All right, you ready to say it? Shalom. Let's try again. Ready? Shalom. That's a, it's a greeting. If you go to Israel, they still use that. Shalom. Shalom. It's a, it's a hello and a goodbye. But it's bigger than hello, goodbye. It's much deeper. We'll talk about that. There's a Greek word. This is a little harder to say. It's erene. Erene. You ready to try that? Erene. Here we go again. Erene. All right. This is peace. Old Testament peace. New Testament peace. Shalom. It doesn't just mean absence of war. I hope you know that Israel has been at war for a very long time. They've never been in a place where somebody's not bombing them. They've never been in a place where someone doesn't hate Israel. It's just it's because they're the, they're the people of God, right? People hate God and so thus they hate Israel. So for Israelis to say shalom, they have something deeper. They are able to say shalom even when somebody has a bomb aimed at their house. I hope we get that. In the New Testament, Jesus uses the same kind of reality. Um, I want you to think about the story you've probably heard and remember when Jesus and his disciples are in the boat and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and a terrible storm comes up and the guys are panicking. They're freaking out. They're throwing stuff overboard. And one of them finally looks to Jesus and you know where he is? Where is he? He's asleep. <laughs> Guess what? He's at peace in the bottom of the boat. And they come to Jesus and one of them has the audacity to say, don't you even care that we're dying? Jesus stands up calmly and he's like, guys, where's your faith? Don't you have any faith? And then he just turns and he looks at nature, right? This huge storm. He looks at nature and what's his first word? Peace. 
be still. Erene. Peace. It's not that Jesus calmed the storm and created peace. It's that Jesus is the peace in the storm. There's a lot more to talk about there, but I want to show you two verses. Ready? Go to the Gospel of John with me. I put these passages on your outline because I want you to see them and maybe underline them in your Bible. The Gospel of John, verse four, or chapter 14. In verse 27, now Jesus is telling His disciples that He's going to leave and that the Holy Spirit is coming. Alright, so verse 27, here's what He says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither Let them be afraid. There's a distinction in the peace that Jesus offers. It's different. It's a different kind of peace. Flip the page. Go to uh, John 16, verse 33. Look at what he's going to say here about his peace. Jesus says at the end of John 16, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have what? Peace. Say that. In me you may have peace. In the world... You will have tribulation. Y'all see that? Wait a minute now. Jesus just said, in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus offers a kind of peace that endures through tribulation. It's not just the absence of tribulation. It is an enduring peace in the midst of it. It's the kind of peace you can sleep through the storm. And here's the secret. Peace for us requires a release of control. You can either have peace or control, but you can't have both. And here's the the great reality. Let me just really burst the bubble. You can't really even have control. You can have a figment of your own imagination of control. But control assumes that you can determine outcomes. You can't determine outcomes. Go plant a seed in the ground and force it to grow. It's as simple as that, as to know that we are only responsible for obedience. God is responsible for outcomes. We cannot control outcomes. We can steward the responsibilities that God has given to us and we entrust Him with the outcomes. That's how peace comes to us is that we release our control. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to today. I may be talking to a bunch of controllers. So if you're a controlling type of person, I want to tell you, you probably are filled with anxiety, stress, and you probably stress some people out around you. Because that's the way we do. When we try to control, it creates anxiety because we quickly realize as soon as things get out of our control, we quickly realize, I, I, don't, I don't have control over this. Things are off your schedule or out of your plan or something happened you didn't, you didn't plan on happening. Guess what? You don't have control. God didn't give you control. He wants to give you peace. And peace means you release control 
and you obey faithfully. It's very, very simple, actually. It's just hard to obey. You see, we have a good father and we can trust him. Jesus said, which of you dads, if your kid asked for a piece of bread, would give him a snake? Or if he asked for fish, would give him a scorpion? He says, yeah, of course you wouldn't do that. And you're evil. But you have a father who's good. And you can trust him. So we trust God with the results. We leave the outcomes to God. Thirdly, we have this command, peace over control. Release your control. Embrace the peace of God. And then thirdly, let the word of Christ we're talking about the word of Christ over all the noise. And the scriptures say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word dwell right there means reside. It means to pitch a tent like the word of Christ is staying. It's going to abide in you. The Bible says repeatedly that we must be renewed in our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We'll see how many of you have really studied this. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Rather, be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. How does that work? How do we renew our mind? It's like this. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We let the word of Christ dwell. Dwell in us richly. Um, I'm going to give you two illustrations you may connect with, okay? Um, I have, I talk about my kids all the time. I know you know probably by now that I have three children. One of my children, who will remain nameless, um, gets in a trance in front of the television. If we put on a movie, that kid is in zombie land. You can't talk to her. You can't get, I mean, you literally got to get in front of her and go, hey, I mean, she's in a trance. She's in zombie land. She can't hear her father's voice because there's too much noise, too much visual, and too much stimulation from the world. And she can't even hear her father's voice. I want to tell you, it's just like that with us. When we're overstimulated on the noise of the world, when you feel your mind with the garbage on TV or the movies or whatnot, or you're reading all the old books that you used to read, you're scrolling all the social media stuff that you used to do. If, if you continually are flooding your mind with all the things of the old nature that Paul's telling us to put off, put them away... If we keep flooding our minds with those things, that's, that's who we'll be. That's, that's what God is, I mean, that's what's shaping who you are. And you get in a trance, you get to this point where you can't hear the Father's voice. On the flip side, um, let me tell you this. So, I, um, I don't work here all the time during the week. I office in a lot of different places. You might see me at Starbucks or where, I mean, I'm at all kinds of little coffee shops. I'm wherever I can find a little spot to set my stuff out. And I like to be with people. I don't office here very often because, well, just frankly, there's no need in running, running a big HVAC unit for just me. So I'll go and mooch off Starbucks and uh, use theirs. But here's the thing. When I sit in a real busy space like that, guess what I do? 
put in these earbuds that are noise-canceling. You heard that? Noise-canceling earbuds. I cannot hear anything except for um, whatever I'm putting in my ears. And there's a way for me to block out the noise and just zone in with the Word or with whatever it may be. Here's what I want to tell you. That's what it means to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Block out the noise. Plug into the Scriptures. Read your Bible. Study the Bible. Meditate on the truths of the Bible. Memorize the Scriptures. Like I know that sounds like something we just let our kids do, but it's not childish. Devote Scripture to memory. Get it in your mind. Sing the Bible. We sing some truths, but that's what He's going to tell us in Colossians 3. Like, Sing these things to each other. Pray the Bible. When you read some Scripture and you go, Oh wow, that's awesome. Lord, please, please do this in my life. Do this in our church. Do this in, in the jail. Do this in Haiti. Do this in Lebanon. Do this at UAB. God, do... Pray the Scripture. Speak the Scriptures to each other. This is what it means to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if you do all these things, it's just fruit on the tree of who you are. Right? It's who before do. So we want to see the fruit of peace in your life. We want to see the fruit of the Word in your life. We want to see those things happening, but those are fruit. They're evidences of who you actually are. You know, you look at an apple tree and you go, that's an apple tree. How do you know? Because it makes apples, right? When you look at a person who is raised with Christ, these are the kinds of things that are the natural production. It's not something that you fight to produce. It's just natural of being connected to Christ and abiding in Him. So you're not defined by what you've done. Your worth isn't wrapped up in what you will do for God. He has chosen you. He's called you. And you're beloved. It's, it's, it's the who before the do. Release your grip on control. This is going to be a tough one for some of us. Release your grip on control. And let the peace of Christ have the final say. That's what the word rule means, is to have the final say. Let His peace have the final say in your life. Jesus is much better at leading you than you are. Saturate your mind with the truth of the Scriptures. Unplug from the noise of the world and tune into the voice of God. I think some of us, like the, I think about this guy I talked to Thursday night. You know, he's like, if God would just tell me what to do. And I told him, I said, hey man, you're like listening to a voice and God's given you a verse. And God will speak to you, but He wants you to actually know what His voice sounds like first. So instead of like looking and listening for a voice out there, how about reading the verse? That He's already given you in here. He's already told you what to do. Let's listen this way. So I want to encourage you in that way as well. Start up a new daily devotion. Read the Scripture with your spouse. Memorize the Bible. Portions of the Bible. Fill your mind with the words of God. And then you'll know the voice of God. 
this morning if uh, all this is foreign to you. I want to tell you, you can find peace in Jesus. If everything I'm talking about is just kind of over your head, you're like, man, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I want to tell you, you can find peace in Jesus Christ. He's the only place for peace in your life. He's the only one who can give you real peace. And the way He did that is He died in your place. He died in your place. But He didn't just die. He went to the grave and He demonstrated His power over sin, over death, over hell. He came back from the dead. And so He's alive today. No other religion can say that. But our God is alive. Jesus is alive. And He invites you to put your faith in Him. If you've never done that, today could be the day for you to know God in a very personal way through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, but your life is full of anxiety, let the peace of Christ rule. And that's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Release your control. Find your place on the pillow next to Him in the bottom of the boat. 